I'll tell you, I'm excited. I, uh, I, to be honest with you, I've been looking forward to the year 2020. There's just something about 2020. You might say, well, what do you mean? Well, you think about your vision. How many of you have 2020 vision? I do with contacts, right? So uh, 2020 vision means you've got perfect vision, and I just believe that God has got a perfect vision for our church this year. So I'm excited about this year and what God is planning on doing. And, uh, but I wonder, how many, of you, uh, how many of you made some resolutions this year? Anybody make any resolutions? How many of you made a resolution not to make a resolution? Right? Uh, you think about it. The most common resolutions that people have, the first and foremost uh, resolution that people make uh, is to lose weight. Everybody, for some reason, they think that they got to wait till January 1st rolls around. I guess it's because uh, when you hit Christmas, how many of you have all kinds of Christmas treats you get? Anybody have any Christmas treats? And y- you cannot diet on Christmas. And, and what's hard is not only can you not diet on Christmas, you can't diet around Thanksgiving either, right? You know, Thanksgiving is the holiday of gluttony is really what I call it. Uh, but you think about it. So you wait until January the first rolls around and you say, you know what, now, now I'm going to get right. And I, I've kind of noticed it as I've gone, been going to the gym. Uh, just the last three days, I've noticed gym membership seems to have picked up. Uh, there's a lot of people in there right now. And I figure about two more weeks, it'll get back to where it was, and, uh, which is just fine with me because it's getting pretty crowded in there. But a second one that a lot of resolutions, uh, resolutions that people make is to quit a bad habit. Uh, they want to quit something, and typically that's smoking, or they want to quit drinking, or some form of bad habit, and they say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait till the new year, and, and I'm going to start fresh, and I'm going to start clean, I'm just going to start over, and so they wait till the new year to make a resolution that says, I'm, I'm going to break this bad habit in my life. Now, I'll tell you, a lot of Christians make a good New Year's resolution, and, and this is one of the more common ones, and that is to get closer to God this year. And hopefully you, you just believe that every year, that every year in your heart and in your mind, you want to get closer to God. You want to do, you want to do more for the Lord. You want, to get, you want to dig deeper in His Word. There's just a lot of things you want to see happen. So as we come to this tonight, I, I began to think about what I wanted to share with you tonight. And really it comes down to the prayers that I have for the church this year. Uh, we've been talking about prayer, and I want to think about the things that I'm praying for for this church. And uh, I didn't write down everything, but I wrote down six things that I kind of wanted to share with you that I am praying for the church this year and praying for you as well, all right? The first thing that I'm praying for this new year is I pray that we'll see more people saved this year than last year, all right? If you've got your Bibles, look in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. If we're going to see more people saved this year than last year, then God has got to give us a deeper passion and a deeper burden for people who need Jesus. And I think this burden is really spoken of so dearly and so truly from Paul in Romans 9. We're going to begin in verse 1 and read through verse 3. He says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What a statement. I mean, you think about what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, look, I have such sorrow of heart for the people of Israel. Now I wonder, is there anybody that you have sorrow of heart for? Is there anybody that you are just so burdened about? Somebody that it just breaks you to know that they're not a Christian. You know that if they were to die today, they were going to hell. Somebody that it just tears you up on the inside, and you want nothing more than to see them come to know Christ. 
That was Paul. Paul said that about the entirety of Israel. But I want you to see his burden goes beyond mere words. And listen to the prayer he prays in verse 3. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren. You know what Paul is basically saying there? Paul is saying, Lord, you could take away my salvation and I'll go to hell for them. That's a strong burden. How many of you would say that? How many of you would say, Lord, I would give up going to heaven if you would save all of my lost family and friends. There's not too many of us that would probably say that, would we? I would be willing to be accursed. I would be willing to bear my own sins if you would just save all of my loved ones. Now that's called passion. That's called a hunger. That is called the point where we lose ourselves in this and we desire above all things to see somebody get saved. Now I'm going to tell you, when somebody has that kind of burden, now here's the truth of the matter. God's not going to take away anybody's salvation. Praise the Lord for that. All right, That's never going to happen. He's not going to take it away from you. But I will tell you, when you have a burden like that, you will do anything and everything to reach people for Christ. Now, I love the way Paul referenced it a little bit later on. He says, to those that are without the law, I was like those who were without the law. To those with the law, like those with the law. To the circumcised, like the circumcised. The uncircumcised, like the uncircumcised. In other words, I wanted to meet them where they were at. I wanted to reach them for the cause of Christ. I wanted to do whatever I could to tell them about Jesus. I love in Acts chapter 8, Philip running into the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, how many of you have ever looked for that experience? How many of you have ever prayed for that experience? You just happen to walk up on somebody that is praying and seeking God's face. They want to hear, and all you got to do is go up there and say, hey, can I help you? And they go, yes, I want to know Jesus. And you go, I got that. Now, I've had that happen, knocking on doors. You'd be amazed. You go up and knock on the door. Hey, we're from such and such a church. I was just praying for somebody to come by and tell me about Jesus. Awesome. But when you have that passion, things like that happen. Some of you may say, well, I've never had that happen. The question is, do you have that passion? Do you want to see more people saved? Do you want to see more people reached for Christ? You see, the, the truth of the matter is, is do you believe in a reality called hell? You see, one of the number one reasons why people don't share the gospel, and here's the truth, did you know that most evangelical Christians don't believe in hell? How can that be? You know there's more descriptions of hell in the Bible than there are of heaven, right? So if there's more descriptions of it, it is a true and genuine place. But the problem is a lot of people say, well, loving God will never send anybody to hell. You're exactly right. Loving God won't send anybody to hell. You choose to go there on your own. When you, refuse, when you refuse the gracious gift of Jesus Christ, you choose it yourself. God just gives you what you want. You say, well, nobody would want hell. Well, if you refuse what God has offered to you, if you refuse to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you refuse to live for him, and you refuse to want to follow him, why in the world would you want to go to a place that's all about him? You're not going to want to. And so God gives you what you want. But we've got to have a burden, a passion, a hunger, a desire to want to see every last person come to know Jesus Christ. And that burden and that passion go far beyond our own understanding. They go beyond our own desires. They go beyond, because here's the truth of the matter. God says, I wish that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. He's very sincere in that. 
But I'm going to tell you, the reason why we haven't reached the nations like we ought to is oftentimes we are too stuck in our comfort zone to go out there and tell them like we ought to. But my prayer for our church, my prayer for each and every one of you is that we'll reach more people this year than we reached last year. We'll see more people come to know Jesus this year than last year. That you yourself will lead somebody to the Lord this year, even if you didn't do it last year. That's my desire. As we talk about who's your one, that's exactly what we're going to be asking you to do. Who's that one person that God's laid on your heart? Now, here's the thing. If you can sit back and tell me right now, well, I don't know one, then begin to pray that God burdens your heart for one. Because I promise you, there are plenty out there. Secondly, I pray we will be unified in our love for God and each other. John 17, if you'll look with me there. John 17 and verse 20. How many of you knew that Jesus prayed for you? He actually prayed for you, and it's in the Scriptures. He didn't just pray for himself. He did pray for himself in John 17, 1 to 5. He did pray for his disciples in John 17, 6 through 19. But he also prayed for you. Beginning in verse 20, and this is what he prayed. He says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I've given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved me, as thou hast loved me. How many times has he got to say the word one in that passage? You get it? I mean, over and over and over again, he says, I want them to be one. You want to know what makes a church one? When every single person in the church is focused on Jesus and not themselves. That's it. When a church is focused on Jesus, it's not about what kind of music I want, it's what kind of music Jesus wants. It's not about what, what scriptures I want to hear, it's about what scriptures Jesus wants you to hear. It's not about what you want to do as far as ministry-wise, it's about what God wants to do in and through you ministry-wise. It is all about Him. We can be unified when we put our focus on the one that church is all about in the first place. But we also want to be one because it says what? That the world may know that thou hast sent me. Do you realize that disunification in a church says to the world that because we can't get along, Jesus must not be real? That's what it says. He says that we be one that they may know that he has been sent. We defraud the message of Jesus Christ when we're not one. Now, here's the thing. I'm, I'm going to get into this, all right? I'm okay with other denominations. How about you? You say, whoa. Are, 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 are you sure? Let me tell you something. We are not the only ones going to heaven. There is not a Baptist heaven, a Presbyterian heaven, a Methodist heaven, or a Pentecostal heaven. And if we can't get along down here, what in the world makes us think we'll get along up there? You say, well, what unites us? Well, it's very simple. What unites us is the simple fact that we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. 
We believe that he died for our sins. It's by grace through faith that we're saved, not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. It is through Jesus and him alone. We believe that he died for our sins, that he was raised from the third day, and we, he was raised so that we might have also the resurrection. These are things that we have to believe. Now, all the other things, they are important issues, but they're not going to keep us from going to heaven. They're not. Whether you believe you got to be baptized by immersion or dipping, I believe immersion is the only right form, but it's not going to keep them from going to heaven by being dipped or by being sprinkled or by being poured. It's not going to keep them from going to heaven. Do I believe the Holy Spirit still works today through, through gracious gifts and through miraculous gifts? The answer is yes. Yes. Do other denominations not believe that? Yes, they do. And that's okay. That's their decision. They can be wrong. But it's not going to keep them from going to heaven. It's not. You see, that's the thing. we got to come to a point where we realize that, guess what? We're on the same team working for the same coach. Wanting to exalt the same Lord. Wanting to do the same things. And as long as the church will start working together for the common cause of Christ, we will make a difference in the community and in the world. But as long as we fight with each other, as long as we tear each other down, as long as we're destroying one another so that we can build ourselves up, man, that's trouble. It's not scriptural. It's not godly, and it's certainly not going to help the case for Christ. I'm praying that we'll be unified in our love for God and each other. Now, here's the thing. That also means, guess what? That means you got to stop wanting what you want. That means you got to want what God wants for your life and for the life of this church. Trust me, let me tell you something. We, we pray. We want to pray. We want to know, God, what do you want to do through this church? Where is it you're wanting to lead us? What is it you're wanting to do? It's all about God. It's not about what I want. If you find out it's what I want, please come tell me. Pray for me so that I can repent and get my heart right. Because it's not about what I want either. I just want to follow God's leadership in everything we do. So we've got to be unified. We've got to recognize that we want what God wants. Third thing I'm praying. I pray we will grow, grow more in love with God's word and read it each day. Look at me in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I hope you picked up one of those Bible reading calendars. If you didn't pick one up, I hope you just have one. I hope you have some way that you're reading through the Bible. I, I would love for us as a church, every one of us, to be reading through God's Word together. And it's always interesting to me because some people say, well, you know, brother, I don't mind reading the New Testament, but I don't want to read the Old Testament. I've, I've actually had Christians say that. I, I don't want to read the Old Testament. It doesn't apply to me. Well, let me just be honest with you. You will never fully understand the New Testament until you understand the Old Testament. Okay? The New Testament is what? Fulfillment of a lot of the things that happened in the Old Testament. Old Testament is beautiful. I love to read it. It's so interesting, especially the history of the way God brought Israel through in such mighty ways. When you look at this passage in 2 Timothy 3.16, he says all scripture is given by inspiration. 
Now, when I was in college, my professor, Paul Fink, he used to have this statement. He'd make it all the time. All means all, and that's all all means. Pretty simple, right? Just means all. That means that there's not a verse in this book that is not inspired by God. That means even when you get to 1 Chronicles and you read so-and-so beget so-and-so beget so-and-so beget so-and-so and you think you're so full of begats, it's in there for a reason. When you get to Leviticus and you read law after law after law about blood and about sacrifices and about animals, it's in there for a reason. All scripture is inspired by God. There's not a verse in here that we shouldn't read as Christians. In fact, you ready for this? When Paul wrote all scripture, you know what he was referring to? The Old Testament. Because guess what hadn't been put together yet? The New Testament. Now we know the New Testament's inspired because it was written by disciples. We know that Peter himself said that Paul's letters were inspired. We know that others talked about Scripture in the New Testament. So we know that all Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is inspired by God. But look at this. It says, it is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You want to know what the four things are? It is profitable to teach you what you should know and what you should not believe. It's profitable to tell you what you should do and what you should not do. Everything you need to know and everything you need to do, good and bad on both sides. That's what Scripture's for. And then in verse 17, he says that the man of God may be perfect. The whole point in Scripture is to perfect you, to finish you, to correct you, to make you all that God wants you to be. Now, here's the truth. You think about it. If you come in here on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, praise God, that's awesome. But how many of you only eat three times a week? Anybody in here eat three times a week? How many of you eat three times a day? How many of you eat five, six, seven times a day? All right, yeah. Now you think about that. We need daily scriptural reading in our lives. Why do you think God has given us the word in print so that we might read it and understand it? You realize that Martin Luther was one of the very first ones to translate it. Of course, he translated it into German. And his whole purpose behind translating it was so that he could get it into the hands of the common people so that they could have God's word and read it for themselves so that they didn't just hear what the priests had to say. They could actually understand it personally for themselves because so many scriptures were being overlooked. So many scriptures were being bypassed and they wanted to make sure that all scripture got into the hands of the people. So Martin Luther translated it into German. Wycliffe was one of the very first English translations, even before the King James translation. Wycliffe had a translation that was out there. Did you actually know that there were 11 translations in the English language before King James? A lot of people don't know that. They think King James was the first one. He was not, not even close. Several centuries before King James, English translations were made. They wanted to get the scriptures into the hands of the people. Why? So that we could learn and get closer and be perfected in the image of God. So my prayer is that you'll fall in love with God's word and read it every day. Number four, I pray that we will give ourselves to be a house of prayer. This actually comes in the book of Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 7. Where there Isaiah says, even... Them will I bring to my holy mountain. This is God speaking. 
and make them joyful in my house of prayer. What is the house of God primarily about? Prayer. Now, isn't it interesting because, let's just be honest, most of us when we go to church, some people will go to church and they'll say, I go to that church because I like the music. How many of you have ever gone to church because you like the music? Be honest. All right? Some of you have probably said, I go to that church because I like the preaching. How many of you have ever said, I go to church because I like the preaching? How many of you have ever said, I go to church because I like the praying? Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say it should be a house of preaching. He doesn't say it should be a house of my word. He doesn't say it should be a house of singing. He doesn't say it should be a house of worship, but he says it should be a house of prayer. You want to know why? Because prayer shows our utter and absolute dependence on God. That's why I love Wednesday nights. Wednesday night to me, you ready for this? My favorite service. My favorite. You say, well, what do you mean your favorite service? It's my favorite service because of the way we started. I love to spend time in prayer. To me, it is the most vital thing. I remember one time when I was walking out of church, and I've done this in every church, just like we do it here, where we spend a lot of time in prayer. Why? Because we call it a prayer meeting, so it ought to be filled with what? Prayer. It's a prayer meeting. It ought to be prayed. All right? And I remember one time a lady was walking out, and she said, I just don't care for Wednesday nights. And I said, and I just overheard her talking to another lady. She said, I just think we pray too much. I thought, well, I'll fix your red wagon. We'll pray the whole time next week. (laughs) You know? What do you mean we pray too much? How in the world can anybody pray too much? How do we get to a point where we think prayer is boring? Where we think prayer is, is not something that we're supposed to do? But as a church, in fact, when Jesus went into his house, he said what? He said, you guys have made my father's house a den of thieves when it should be a house of prayer. Jesus even used the scripture. God wants us to pray. He wants us to seek his face. Why? Because we become reliant on him. If God does anything in this house, it is because we have fallen on our faces before God and we have sought his face and he has moved. Trust me, nobody gets saved because I preach. Nobody gets saved because of Travis leading the music. Nobody gets saved because of the things that we do as a part of the service. They get saved because God changes their lives. Because God moves in their hearts. And it's because we have prayed and sought the face of God. And God moves when he wants to move. You see, it happens because we are reliant on God. Nothing happens in the church because of something we plan or something we desire. It happens because God moves. I can't tell you. I, I know I say it all the time, but man, my favorite time on Sunday morning is when we're in that room praying together as men. It can be between 8 to 16 of us in there praying. I'm praying that we blow that. We, we already moved out of this room up here because we had so many. I want to move out of that one too. You know what's awesome? I mentioned it Sunday morning about wanting to get some ladies together in prayer. And they do the same time at 8 o'clock. Guess what? There's a lady that stepped up and said, I'll do it. Praise God. Ladies, you have a time at 8 o'clock. You want to show up? They're going to meet right up there and begin prayer time at 8 o'clock Sunday morning. I hope you show up. Now, husbands, if your wife shows up, what are you going to do? Let's fill both of them up. Let's go. You say, well, what am I going to do with my kids? They can pray too, right? Bring them on. 
We'll take them. You see, that's the thing. We've got to become a church of prayer because when we put our focus on God and we are on our faces before God and we are seeking the face of God, He is going to move like we've never seen before. I want us to become a house of prayer. That's my prayer. Number five, I pray that we'll be a people on fire for God. I'm going to tell you, man, it is easy to be on fire for God when you first get saved, isn't it? You ever wonder what happens? I mean, why we lose the fire? I know why we lose the fire. It's the Christian fuddy-duddies. You know what I'm talking about. You get on fire for God, and all of a sudden, that seasoned Christian who's been a Christian 20, 30, 40, 50 years, well, they'll burn out. Why? Because you did? I used to love what Johnny Hunt said. He said, man, somebody asked him one time, said, Brother said, how do you stay so on fire for God? He said, because I never let anybody put it out. I never let anybody put it out. I don't want to let anybody put it out, but here's the thing. If it does get put out, we can get it back. I love Ephesians 5.18. It says, and do not be drunk with wine, wearing is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Man, I want to be so full of the Holy Spirit that he's just bursting out of me. Reminds me of a little girl talking to her daddy one time. She said, Daddy, she said, God's bigger than us, right? He said, yeah, honey, God's bigger than us. And she said, Daddy, she said, God lives in us, right? And he said, yeah, honey, God lives in us. She said, well, Daddy, if God's bigger than us and God lives in us, shouldn't he be pouring out of us? Man, we ought to be so filled with the Holy Spirit. How many of you love the old song, I'm drinking from a saucer because my cup's overflowing? Man, people ought to be drinking from the saucer that's poured out of us because we're so filled with the Holy Spirit, we're just overflowing with the joy of the Lord. We're overflowing with the Spirit of God. We're seeing God move in our hearts and lives, and we're so on fire for God, we won't let anybody put their wet wood on us. Nobody can take it away. I want to pray that we're on fire for God. Here's the thing. The Bible makes it very clear. Ephesians 4.30 says you can grieve the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says you can quench the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means that we can put out the fire. We can quench it. We can quench it. We can put it down. The problem is there's a lot of Christians that have lost sight of why God gave us the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit is in there to be a seal and the guarantee of our inheritance until the day of our redemption. Absolutely. He seals us. There's no doubt that we're a child of the kings and nobody can take that away from us because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. But he's also there to lead, guide, direct, move, help us, pray for us, grow us. He's there to do all these things to encourage us and to lead us in our walk for Christ. But so often we quiet the Holy Spirit. We don't want to hear from him. We tell him, be quiet. We can't do that. Man, the Holy Spirit wants to use you. He wants you to be on fire. When was the last time somebody looked at your life and said, man, I want to be like them? When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can say like Paul, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And people will want to imitate you. But man, if you're not imitating Christ, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, I can promise you they don't want to follow your example. I pray that we'll be on fire for God. Lastly tonight, I pray that we will be a church after God's own heart. 
Acts 13, verse 22. Paul was preaching, and he says this, And when he had removed them, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart. This was God testifying about David. God said of David, he was a man after my own heart. Can I ask you tonight, would God say that about you? Could God say of you, he's a man after my own heart? Could God say of you, that's a woman after my own heart? Could God truly say that about you? What does it mean to be someone after God's own heart? It means to be fully sold out and all in. Now here's the thing. It doesn't mean you won't fail. David was an adulterer. David was a murderer. He failed. David made some bad decisions. But you know what? David got his heart right with the Lord. But David, in every instance except for two times... That we see in scripture. He always sought the Lord. Even before every battle. He sought the Lord. He sought the Lord constantly. Man if you're seeking after God. And you're seeking for him. In every decision that you make. And you're searching for him. And his answer for what he wants you to do in your life. And you're getting closer to God. Each and every day. God may one day say. That's one after my own heart. I want to be a church after God's own heart. What does that mean? That means that as a church, we are pursuing the things of God and we won't let anything in this world stop what God's trying to do right here. We are pursuing him with such a red-hot passion that people will call us a bunch of Jesus freaks and I'm just fine with that. You see, God wants to move in the church. I promise you, God wants to do great things. I believe with all my heart, God is ready to do something amazing right here. I've been praying. I've always always wanted to be a part of revival. How about you? I mean, I really have. When I was in college, it seemed like we were very close one time. I was in college, I was at Liberty University, and my junior year, I got there, and I was a spiritual life director on our, uh, at our dorm. And I remember talking to the other guy. There were two spiritual life directors in each dorm. There was about 70 per- people in each dorm. They had two RAs, two spiritual life directors, and then about 10 prayer group leaders. And I was a spiritual life director. And I remember meeting with Jeremy, and I said, hey, man, I said, um, I think we need to just get together, and we need to pray before this year even started, before the students even start coming in. We just really need to start praying and seeking God's face. And, and I think we need to go over there, and we need to grab Lauren and Mark and grab our RAs, and let's get them, and let's, let's just pray. Let's pray for this year. Let's pray that God will move like never before. And I mean, this was right before people were starting to come in. And so that night, the four of us got together, and we prayed. Well, some of the guys on the hall got wind of it, and they said, hey, uh, we'd like to join you. And so we said, sure, you know, we're going to pray again tomorrow night. And so if you want to come, you can, you can join us tomorrow night. And so we had about 12 in, our, in a room. And so we were filled to capacity at that point with 12 guys in a room. And we were praying for God to move like never before that year. And the next night, we were going to get together and pray again. And uh, dorm 11 beside of us found out that we were praying. And so they said, hey, can we come join you guys? And so it was in between our dorms. So we went outside, and there was about 30 of us, about 16 or so from our dorm, 14 from their dorm. And we we got together and we prayed and then the next night a lot of other dorms got wind of it and then they met in front of our dorm and then the very next night 
a bunch of the ladies' dorms come over, and they started praying with us, and, and basically they called it a circle. We just started circling around, and we'd get in there, and we'd share Scripture, and we would pray, and we'd seek God's face, and we were praying for God to do a mighty, mighty work. About two weeks, God was, was continued to move and do some amazing things while we were there praying and seeking his face. And something just fell off one night. And I couldn't figure out what it was. And so tried to get a buddy of mine who was the dorm over to kind of say something to kind of inspire people. And the problem was is we lost sight of why we were there. And we overstepped. And within a week, it was gone. And I remember for those two weeks just how excited and how passionate I was to see God move and to see great things happening. And I also remember what it felt like to mess things up, to quench the Spirit of God. And I've longed to have that back again one day. I've longed to see God move like that again today. But it's going to happen when we choose to be a church after God's own heart and we choose to make this a house of prayer and we choose to want to reach the lost in our community and we choose to spend time in God's word every day and we choose to be on fire for God and we choose to be together in the common cause of Jesus Christ. That's when it's going to happen. I want revival. I want it so bad. But guess what? It's not on my timetable. It's on his but what I can do is I can humble myself and pray and seek his face and turn from my wicked face. And you can too. And we can see God move.